Welcome to Seize the Awkward. This is coming to you today. This is Jason Howard. I got Skip Ackerman with me. We've got Eric Foley on the board today. We appreciate you uh, out listening to uh, what we can do. And uh, welcome to this glorious Wednesday. I didn't realize it was Wednesday until about five minutes ago. I kept thinking it was Tuesday. So, Skip, how are you doing today on this Wednesday? (laughs) I'm doing great. Got up at 3 o'clock this morning. Went back to bed. Came in a little bit late, but no, doing good. It's one of those days where it's just kind of hard to jumpstart your morning. Don't know where you're at, and but uh, life's good. Yeah, I woke up this morning and did my email search and social media search and saw you at 325 this morning <laughs> posting on social media with those white feet in the bed. Hey, those are nice-looking white feet. Okay. At least good. my wife loves them. Well, that's all that matters. We won't get into the foot fetishes today, but we are Seize the Awkward. So do we want to talk about that? <laughs> well, I tell you what, Seize the Awkward, and uh, you know, it's something that American Foundation and Suicide Prevention, they had that little slogan, you know, and I seen that, and it made a lot of sense. And then when we started talking about doing the podcast, and we were throwing things out there, and you go, that's our slogan for, for Turning Point Madison County's uh, podcast, Seize the Awkward. I think it's perfect because it deals with mental health, and a lot of people – myself, we have this certain, I don't want to admit my weaknesses or right. when I'm thinking crazy things and I'm going to use not probably not political correct stuff. That's just me. Right. Um, but you know, I don't want to let people know what's going on. I want to let everybody know I got everything together. And I think seize the awkward is a good opportunity to, to throw that phrase out there to people. And then, Hey man, let's talk about our awkwardness. Well, and that's just it. That's a lot of what we do when we have to deal with substance abuse and mental health. It's a lot of stigma in there. And, uh, you said something just a second ago, I'm going to hit on here for, um, on, and it was, I don't want to admit to it. Sure. Why don't you want to admit to it? I tell you for, for, for me, uh-huh. I, I do better, but for me, I got a certain, uh, I get tired. I was talking to Tony in Florida, another firefighter, man, I'm high maintenance. It seems like I got a therapist, <laughs> I'm taking medication. I got a, I'm, I'm going to meetings, I'm doing this. And then I still get those thoughts every once in a while of just being worn out, being tired and just getting, you know, not wanting to be in this world sometimes. Um, I'm, and I'm just being straight up, right. you know, uh, those are thoughts. They keep, they keep going today. Um, but a lot of times I get tired of talking about it. I right. know I got a problem. I don't want to live in the old thing. I don't want to live in the problem. I want to live in the solution. But sometimes that problem just don't go. It lingers. Right. Um, right. But what I found out when I do physical stuff, we played volleyball last night. And afterwards, I felt great, refreshed, um, and real good. But my my ego gets in the way. You know, you got a certain, you know, you're the, the director of Turning Point Madison <laughs> County. I'm the outreach and recovery coach. I've been sober for a while. I was a retired firefighter. I'm supposed to have it together. In between my ears, I'm supposed to have it together. That's what I think. Well, and I always think none of us have it together between our ears. It's okay to not be okay as long as you identify it and you're moving towards the the positive of it. So all the things you've done, it's amazing. So that's where, like, what do you do for self-care? How do you take care of you? You just hit on it and said, I, you know, constantly doing this, dealing with people. I'm on the phone. I'm talking. Um you are always out there for somebody else. Your phone is never not ringing and having somebody say, Skip, I need something. I need your help. I need you just to listen. How do you keep yourself going and moving forward and dealing and taking the burdens of everybody else? When our phones ring and somebody calls us, what are we doing? We're helping them take their burdens. 
How do you not put that on top of your own burdens and then keep everything worked through? How do you seize that awkward when it comes to what we have to get involved in? I get on the phone. I'll offload it. If there's something that's going on me, I did that yesterday. I called uh, Tony down in Florida and we talked and I I offload it that way. Another way I do it every once in a while, I'll do uh, an inventory. I'll write things down on paper because it becomes more real. It's not just broken fragments in my mind floating around there. It becomes more real, but I have to be accountable and share that with somebody. Right. Um, You know, that's what I do. Mr. Director, what do you do? You're talking to me. You're, you're a director of the Turning Point Madison County. You got, you're going every which way but loose uh, trying to make this going. You know, we're always calling for money. We're, we're, we're dealing with uh, disgruntled employees like myself. You have to deal with me all the time, and I apologize at 325 in the morning. <laughs> but what do you do for yourself with all the stuff that you got, your phones ringing, your problem solving, and then you got your own stuff you got to deal with from – past or the fears of the future or whatever, what do you do back at you? You know, and that is a constant battle I think we all deal with. And that's no, why, no, no, no. That's I'm why, talking about you. What do you do? <laughs> I don't do it the healthiest. Um, I'm like you, I think, in the aspect that in helping people, that's kind of my relief, knowing that I can be there and be involved. But when it comes to my own personal self-care, there's times that I just want to lay on the couch and not have any, um, not have to have the phone ring. Just lay there and, and and just be in peace with myself. Just like floating in the pool. That's just it. So or flying a plane. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't think of all those aspects that I do for myself uh, because you know going out and getting a pilot's license that's kind of work. But there's nothing more relaxing than just being up there in the air. So. Um, I do those things for me. I take care of me and that. Um, but you don't necessarily always think of that as something that's going to be a relaxation or it's your self-care. But you know as well as anybody, we're not sleeping. We're not doing this. We're constantly on the move. Um, being back on the ambulance, being on the fire truck for you. If we can't get there, we can't help anybody. So I always try to remember that. And there are days where none of us want to get up and come in because it is. You just had so much on your plate. Um, But, you know, we got a great team here at Turning Point. I couldn't be happier um, as the director, as a leader. I don't even want to say boss. I want to say leader because you guys are so awesome. Um, Between you, Heather, Scott, Courtney, uh, Sean, our whole team is just phenomenal. That. Um, You know, a lot of times when you lead up an organization, you do spend a lot of time and having to deal with employee stuff. You guys just knock it out of the park and make it so easy for me to go out and make this organization be something that's so significant in our area to help others. So it's uh, it's been real enjoyable. Yeah, I, I tell you, just with any organization, just like uh, employees, we always sometimes we butt heads. We're like family members. We butt heads. But at the end of the day, you talk it out. Um just like I, I had some things on my mind, I sent an email at 325 this morning to Jason. <laughs> and uh, that's what I got to do. I got that's how, that's how I offload things. If right. I'm thinking about it, and I, the awkwardness is talking about those things you don't want to talk with, especially if you're a leader, you're an employee, or something's bothering you, and you, you're, you don't. I got to watch my filters because I can come off aggressive. Right. Or I can say the wrong word, even to my wife. I can, you know, I come off real quick and she wants me to pay attention to her when I'm, okay, she's talking to me. I got to stop talking. I got to look at her. Um, Same thing goes in here. I need to 
have some listening skills and listen to people, what they're saying. And, and, you know, that, that I'm still working on it. Just like I got to listen to my own. So what's going on with me? Why, right. why, what do I need to do about a certain situation? Do I need to call that 24 hour line, two, two, seven, 25, eight, 2585, that's point, Madison County. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, I need to have those have those phone calls too. And I got those, uh, Kelsey Stewart with American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. I got you. I could call Eric. Um, I could, you know, I need somebody to be a straight shooter, but also be caring at the same time. Oh, absolutely. And that's where I believe, like, in all that we do, and especially when it comes to, you know, that 325 this morning email you sent, that was great because you got to get that off your chest. For me, it is it is that quote, we have to first understand before being understood. If you got something on your mind, I need to know what it is to best understand where you are so you can understand where I am. You sent that email, we sat down in the office this morning, five minutes later, everything's all good, Absolutely. it's solved out, and so that's off your mind now. So that's the amazing thing that we're able to flow through here is just being able to solve through the problems, not only our clients' problems, but our own problems, because we are human too, and we do deal with things. Let me ask you this. You got, you know, you got a, a, somebody, an owner of business or a director of an organization. Um, they got a certain reputation they like to keep. You know, they, they want to be a leader and stuff, but they're suffering. Yes. What are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them? If they're suffering, how are you going to break through that wall of somebody like that. Boy, you just heard crickets there, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's each and give me, get, not the politic answer. Give me the real answer to somebody. There's somebody out there, the business guy that's listening to this podcast. Hopefully one person's listening right, to this right, podcast. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, somebody that, uh, you got an attorney, a doctor, somebody in profession that's suffering their business, but they got to make sure their business, their branding is okay because if they, they're afraid if they show that weakness, so-called weakness, the mental health part of it, or an addiction, that what, what do you tell somebody like that? Do you, how do you start the conversation? Well, number one, it's not weakness if you reach out. That is, if you reach out and say, I need help, that's mm -hmm. your first step, and there is no weakness in that. You have power over whatever your situation is by saying, I need something. I'm, I'm in a situation, I need something. So that right there is the first start, that if somebody reaches out, then I know they have the willingness to want to do something. For me to reach that person, it's number one, using my story. So if you, yeah. are, if you, are, a exactly. if you are a professional, I get it. I was the paramedic, and I let the things happen to me and was able to correct that situation. So what it is, is we can all correct our wrongs. We can correct where we are. If we have a substance abuse issue or we have a mental health problem, we can correct that. It just comes down to taking the power that that person has to say, I need the help. Ultimately, I can't fix it for somebody. I can fix it for me. I can't fix it for you. You have to fix it for you. Just as that business owner, that politician, that doctor, that whoever, teacher, um, because mental health and addiction affects so many people. Um, we can go and look, we can just go random, pick somebody out of a crowd. They will have a 90% chance of somebody in their close circle of family or friends is suffering. That's an amazing statistic. And it could even be them that's suffering. So for them to reach out, it's how do we get to that common ground? What I like to use my story. Sure. 
um, because that shows that you can, it can happen to anybody and you can recover through that. Have you, um, have you ever been talking uh, out, of, out of place, a group of people, and there's one person that's paying attention to you, and you notice that. And afterwards, that's where I get people come and talk to me, whether it's a family member of or their self or something. Just like you just said, our experience will benefit others. Absolutely. And, and good and bad. And I, I think that's the biggest thing when you we approach, if we share our brokenness, and and be real honest. Like I tell people, I see a therapist. I'm on medication. Yes. I and I'm not embarrassed of it anymore mm-hmm. because I, I I was I right. was very I didn't want nobody at the fire department. I didn't want anybody to know I went to treatment. Mm-hmm. I hid it as best I could, but you know they they knew though. Um, yeah. It, and it and it's that stigma. You hid it because you were scared of the stigma. Yeah. Now what you have learned since then is that's my badge of honor. That's how I get to other people to help them. Sure. And, you know, when we have this podcast, Seize the Awkward, that's just it. Awkwardness is not being right between your head and not understanding it. Awkwardness is having a substance abuse concern and not knowing how to control it or it's controlling your life. So for us, we have to seize that awkward. For me, when I went through what I went through, I told myself, nobody's going to use this against me. Well, some people don't know what you went through. Can you do an elevator version of 30-second what, what happened? I, uh, I was a paramedic for over 24 years. Um, through that, we did not adapt to mental health. Like you said, you didn't tell the guys you were strong. You had to be the alpha. Being the paramedic in the entity, you were kind of the top of the food chain. So the last thing you want is all these people, when you show up to the scene, think you're weak because you live in a glass house. And so everybody's going to watch you doing what you do. And last thing you want to do is have that awkwardness of the guys. not. So, so what happened? Not trusting you. So through that, with everything, I started getting into the narcotics on the ambulance. Um, you know, we it just, it was a funnel effect of everything. I reached out to my employer, said I need help. Help didn't come. So here we are. I fixed what we needed to fix. And now I, I think help, help the came others. in a different way, didn't it? It did come in a different <laughs> way. And I do keep saying that. And I'm glad you hit on that. Um, the help came, but it didn't come ancillary like I thought it would. Don't I use did, those big words for me. Yeah. It didn't come from the people that said they would be sure. there. It came from the ones I didn't expect, and it came from the sheer drive and determination I had inside to say, okay, let's do something different and let's fix this. And then through that, not only do you need to fix your problem, you need to market yourself. Because you got to come out of this. Whatever it is, you got to come out of it because it is stigma. You know this all too well. You just hit on it. When I went to treatment and I came back to the firehouse, the guys all on your shift knew you were gone. They knew you where you were at. But you come back and now it's something nobody talks about. Well, you need to talk about it. Sure. It's got to get out on the table and you've got to seize the awkward and, and, and put it out there because no sooner, and I ask you this, as soon as you got back from treatment and you got back into the firehouse, how many guys... I should, I should say which type of treatment. Well, yeah. yeah. I've, been, I've been in a few of them. Yeah. Um, but let's just say each time, each time if you came back and you truly sat at the coffee table with everybody and talked about it, I bet... and. Can you look back on it and say this same thing? I bet somebody would have came to you and said, Skip, I'm kind of suffering too. Sure, and they have. Um, but but one thing, how quick, how, how sooner would they have gotten to you if you were more open and honest about what you went through 
I think the fear for me was the fear and what you what other people were going to think about me. Right. They were they weren't they weren't mean or make, you know we do our making fun, but at the time when somebody's suffering, that's when we usually come out and we support our brothers and sisters, whether it's on the fire police or any general thing. I think generally people are good. Yes. People are good. And there's some few out there that are suffering from whatever that, that they can't show compassion. But if I would have got rid of that fear and came back and shared my story, which I eventually did. Right. And, it, and it, it's worked out for a lot of different people approaching me that I thought wouldn't approach me. You know? Right. I had support from people that it was just amazing me. And then I didn't get support who I thought would help me, which uh, whatever reason I had to get rid of that resentment because um, it sounded good at the time. I'm, I got your back until, yep. until you didn't. And I'd been there before and I'd done, I probably done the same thing uh, because it was awkward for them to, they didn't know how to deal with it. Absolutely. And that was the one thing that I always found. And you, you said that the, the best in the people I thought was going to be supportive wasn't there. And that's a real letdown as you're going through what you're going through. And like you said, that resentment, like, I'd been there for you where you, you, you told me these things and now what the hell's going on? Yeah. Like me and you had some growing pains, but yep. it worked itself out. We, two days later got together, had some time apart and then we got, it just worked itself out. Absolutely. Um, I tried to be open to everybody. Um, and I'm not, and I can be, I'm not always right. I know that I'm very controlling. I don't see a vision like you do as far as the, of, of turning point. Um, but I think we play a part, a piece of puzzle that we come together and we can see the bigger picture. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just like this podcast, I don't know how to do a soundboard or I don't have to do that, but we thank God Eric's here. Right, right. <laughs> but I think when we come together, that makes the whole show and that makes life. It's just like when all of us come, come together when somebody suffer and and Well, know. and then that's a perfect tie-in and you don't know, you just tied that in, but that goes into collaboration. And that's what makes Turning Point. You know, I'm going to plug this again here real quick. At you, you, you set it up. I'm going to knock it out of the park real fast. Boom, baby. Boom. Um, it's through collaboration. And, you know, like us, when we have something in our personal lives, we go to our friends. Mm -hmm. And we look for help. Friends and, and, and acquaintances and things like that, that's called collaboration. We get into this organization that we're doing Turning Point is nothing without our collaborating partners. And one of our biggest ones is the Christian Center. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, Eric Foley, who director of operations for the Christian Center, we're very blessed to have him, you know, be able to get here. Eric, come on and say hello to everybody and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> hello. Um, but it's through that collaboration. Now that you got a mic, we can kind of talk about that too. But, uh, you know, go into what the Christian Center does and, and how that role and, and how we all fit into the aspects of it um, as we move forward. Because at the end of the day, it's about helping the community. And our community has a lot of needs. So the needs that we can't necessarily help, it just under this umbrella, it's it's just been a beautiful marriage uh, sure. that we've been able to have. So, Eric, kind of go into it a little bit. Now that you've sat back there quiet. Well, you know, the Christian Center started as just an emergency housing for men. And then over the years, it's grown. You know, we're the only uh, community dining room in the county. Uh, so we serve a lot of meals. The Elio Center now, which is where this office is. Right. Um, it's uh, we've really focused on trying to centralize services. So if someone doesn't have transportation, they can go to one stop shop. They can hit up Turning Point if they need the cost program. They can eat. They can 
you know, wash clothes, whatever they need to do. Now, how many, and, and I'm always amazed by this number, how many pounds of food has the Christian Center served? I pounds, of, I have no idea. I've I mean, heard I've heard Rob give the number, and it's almost like a million pounds. Or yeah, it's, it's, it's more than that. I mean, just through what we did during COVID with those meal boxes from the yeah. FDA, that was, I mean, that alone was like four million. Right, right. So. It's, it's just amazing. But so I always, now let's get into the awkwardness of this. Christian Center, Turning Point, all these organizations are in the county to help our community. Mm-hmm. But what we find is because we're dealing with the community members that are kind of the blight on society. Uh, we're dealing with the true indigent, the down and out, the ones that everybody wants to disregard. Christian Center is right across the street from the city building, the mayor's office. What's the relationship with the city with when we deal into our homelessness? So we're going to get into that political <clears throat> side of it where, yes, we need this, but yet because you guys are the only ones that offer it in the area. What we do know is outlying counties. So let's just say Hamilton County. I had to laugh when I was over there with the cost program, and I asked one of the officers, I said, what's your homeless population like over here? Oh, we got about 15, 20 people. Well, they don't have that many because they bus them over to us because we have the resources. Right Now, with that being said, what's that do to the relationship with the city and economic development? Because I know it's back and forth. Well, if you build it, they will come. Well, do we want them to come knowing what we're trying to do? Well, I don't think that we're recruiting people to come here. I do think there's other organizations through some of the housing, some of the housing and the way other things are working that will recruit people to come here. And then that when they end up with no choices, then they're just here. Right. But I think with the, with the city, it's good. I think economic development though is a different story because, you know, we're trying to, they see us as a, it's almost adversarial, but I mean, the truth of it is if we weren't here, where, where would all these people go? They'd be living in doorsteps. They'd be breaking in houses. If you look at the data of cities that don't have resources like what we have and they solve the same homeless, well, what happens? Right, right. Well, and that's just it. It's, it's a two-pronged thing, but nobody wants to see that two-pronged side. Right. Um, so it's just always the politics that go into it. Just, I, I, I always have to laugh when I get involved because you want to take a side, but you can't take a side. Sure. You want, you want to help. But if I take that side to say, I'm going to help. So, you know, here's, here's an example. We have old money in a community. Old money has very conservative views. Well, now you have younger youth coming up. Well, you start you start having the LGBTQ, which old money does not understand. Well, how do you come into that community, support what it needs? Because with that, you have mental health things. With We deal in our adolescence. We get into, and I, I say the alphabet community. I mean no disrespect in that, but the LGBTQ, um, they, they get into it. So how do you come in and, and plant a foundation to say, I want to support this, but I don't want to offend the conservative views. Sure but support them both. And so it's it's a very political thing that even with the Christian Center here and, and what you guys deal with, it's a very fine line that you have to walk in seizing that awkwardness and the stigma that's involved in it. I tell you, you know, when you get into politics and different other things that uh, people can debate and stuff, what I, what I look at, do you want somebody to die? Can we help them? At the end of the day, it's that person's job to walk through the door. Right. At the end of the day, they got to do it. 
and you got to educate the public about things. I remember I was enabling a lot first when I first sobered up, and I was helping these uh, helping people. I was enabling a lot. Come to the Christian Center; they can educate you. Okay, here's what we do. Let us do it. We're the professionals right. in that. But sometimes people, as myself, want to go out to the population and do this. Look what I did. You know, and I was like that. I was like that. Look at me. Yes. But I had to get educated. I am helping that person. I'm not helping that person out by enabling that person to stay where they're at spiritually, physically, and mentally. Absolutely. So, so I had to learn from Rob, Eric, that does that day in and day out. And then how they maneuver with the politics and stuff and what they got to do. Uh, but it, I, I'm still getting educated by you, by even by the person living under the bridge. I talked to him the other day. I got a home. Yeah. This is my home. Mm-hmm. People say I'm homeless. I am not homeless. Yeah. I choose to live here. Just like that young lady I went last night and got and took her there. She goes, I'm getting used to living. out. Oh, this is kind of nice. And uh, it's like. You, you can't make people go live in a house and have the picket fits around it. You can't make people quit doing meth or drinking. They got to want it a little bit. Now, you can throw them in jail, and, and sometimes you got to do that. And right. there's people that's been in jail and prison say, thank God I went to jail. It saved my life. Absolutely. Well, and that was something, and we'll kind of close out on this, that I always found as a paramedic down in Indianapolis. So um, when I was on the ambulance and we were downtown Indy, I would always go around to the homeless in the winter, give them blankets. You know, the hospital has sure. lots of blankets. We'll load the truck yeah. up and go hand them out, do blood pressure checks, just kind of check on them. And the one thing I found was because there are so many shelters there, but people don't want shelters. The areas they slept at was status symbols. That was like you moved up. So if you were on the circle and say you were sleeping under the awning of a church on the circle, like that is, that is high value property and real estate. And that was yours. Now, if you left it or something happened, then somebody gets to move up into that kind of like as we sell homes, but it's amazing the society that's involved in there. And you hit it perfectly. These people are happy. That's my home. This is my plot of land, whether it's a five by five slab of cement underneath an awning that's what they come back yeah. to. They know that they can migrate, and that's their starting point. So it's fascinating when you look at it and the the mindsets that you can go from somebody that has everything to has nothing, and they're happy with nothing. Well, Jason, let me ask you. If somebody wants to change your life, what phone number can they call? You know, you and need to what call. what organization can they call <laughs> to get help? You know, let's go to Turning Point Madison County. You can go to turningpointmadisoncounty.org. That is our website. Or you can give us a call on our 24-7 hotline that we're here for you. Peer Recovery Coach will answer 24-7. Uh, and that is 765-227-2585. And I'm going to say it again, 765-227-2585. You know, Turning Point is here for you. Again, we've got all our collaborating partners. We love that we're involved with Christian Center. Um, you know, the list is long and distinguished of all the organizations that we are involved in. Um, but it's amazing because as we're involved in them, all the other organizations get involved too. Sure. And so to be able to unify our resources and see how we can truly make a difference in this county, is it's, it's just exciting. So thank you guys for listening today. It's going to be a beautiful day. Go out, get some sun, take care of you, do health care, do self-care. And with that, we want to say thank you for listening today to Seize the Awkward.